0: Hello and welcome back to Real as Feedback. Each week we have unfiltered conversations about performance feedback in the workplace and share your real stories to offer practical tips on how to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from masquerading as feedback. I'm Jackie Clayton and I'm here today with Kim Scott.
1: Kieran is out today. So Kim, how have you been? Things are good. My twins just started high school last week, so there's a little bit of stress in the Scott household, but other than that, it's all good. Like, I just got used to sweet baby TJ leaving the house,
0: and he's coming back. He's been gone for like 10 days. He's back for the long weekend. (laughs) So, you know, you do the best you can. But I am so glad that with us today is Cam Ward, who I am glad to call friend and guest. Cam Ward is the founder and CEO of Black Men in Tech Incorporated. He is also a diversity executive in the tech space where he has designed and implemented comprehensive d strategies across the globe. Cam believes diversity can be achieved without commitment. Inclusion cannot. It requires a step beyond tolerance, vulnerability, and trust to create an inclusive environment. He has been recognized by Forbes as a Forbes The Culture 50 Champion rising star, and as a STEM influencer. His passion and purpose for inclusivity is fueled by the strides he has made to personally and professionally elevate underrepresented voices. Cam's personal mission is to prepare individuals to thrive in a diverse and interconnected world. So welcome, Cam.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Do I get like me neither? But I didn't even stumble. Is anyone going to acknowledge
1: that? You did a good job. Thank you. Well done. Very well done. That is hard to do. That was a tough one. But,
0: you know, very impressive, Kim. So I would love to, I know that we have various things going on. I would love to find out about something that you said in your bio. Diversity can be achieved without commitment. Inclusion cannot. It requires a step beyond tolerance, vulnerability, and trust to create an inclusive environment. So I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that and how Black men in tech and other orgs can build safe environments.
2: Yes. So I believe that diversity, in my opinion, in my opinion alone, I believe that diversity is pretty easy to do. Right. This room is diverse because we all showed up. You find like minded people and people that like certain things, for instance, like TJ might like pizza. Everybody that's for pizza on Wednesdays get a T-shirt. The room is very diverse. That happens, That, but with intentionality is inclusion and a step beyond tolerance It's inclusive because you get into these spaces and now we got to break down walls to learn each other. Now we got to build trust to be able to do this dance that Vernon Myers talked about before. Now we got to be able to uh, build vulnerability when we're allowing people into our lives. So inclusion is, a, in my opinion, is a step beyond tolerance. Diversity is tolerance. You can be in a space and not interact with people. But if you want true inclusion, you got to move forward. And I think that's what's the mission of Black Men in Tech, not only to be an organization where we're focused on diversifying with Black men, the tech ecosystem, but also making it inclusive where it's trusted partners doing the work necessary to keep individuals in the tech space and not do that, that musical chairs where we're just swapping out pieces and swapping out people.
1: I think that is so well said. I mean, I think tolerance is kind of, when you think about the word tolerance, like I don't want you all to tolerate me. Like I want you all to be excited to talk to me.
2: Exactly.
0: You reminded me of something. So I'm a member of junior league and there was a, a push to try to be more inclusive when we were in the meetings and these meetings were attended by 350 women. And I said, it's really difficult to be included. They're like, you've been a member for like 10 years. And I was like, yeah. They said, well, what made you stay? I was like, I looked for the other black people. And it was funny because in this meeting the other black people were like, oh yeah, me too. And the white woman goes, really? And I was like, yeah. And there was a, a woman from Mexico. She's a Mexican woman. And she said, oh yeah, that's what I did too. And they, <laughs> she was like really I was like yeah as long as I wasn't the only and I wasn't going to be othered and I knew I was going to have at least one friend I could move forward and they were like do all people do that and we were all like yeah and it was a very diverse group it was some younger and some older and some with kids and some who don't you're always looking to put that piece together like you said we're so used to looking for people that are like us but then it's a great reminder that you need to stretch to find people that aren't like you and connect with those people so that you can they make sure everyone's included.
1: I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and guess, Jackie, that the white women in the junior league group didn't have to look for other white women because they assumed they would be there, right? Did you hear me? 350 people, there were 300. Yeah, exactly.
0: It was everywhere. Yes. Yeah. That. Yeah. That was a very thick limb.
1: I. Yeah. I figured my mother was in junior league, and when she was in junior league, they. It was all white women, you know. It was, and that was in Memphis, which is a city that is sixty percent black. Oh,
0: it's one. Of, it's one of those things where, like, that's what I think is so great about about this podcast. Like, we're sharing experiences, and but it's also almost a peek behind the curtain of stuff that you wouldn't normally hear or things that you might not have considered. And part of this work is accepting people's truth and just understanding people's truth. So I'd love to know kind of like, what have you found as the founder of Black Man in Tech, like what made you decide to go out on that limb and do put so much energy into it? And congratulations, I know you're having a conference in Florida. I see all the stuff, I'm like, look at Cam.
2: Yes. Um. Honestly, I was having this conversation earlier with a colleague. I started Black Man in Tech out of pure need. And not, it wasn't necessarily terrible need. It was just like I needed to see more people that look like me, that had more conversations that about things that I like to talk about, right? Uh, sitting in a C-suite, you all both know that sometimes you find yourself other than conversation unintentionally. If we're not talking about sports, I'm kind of lost in a conversation right I say hey Kim have you seen this show or this show what about this and I found myself going home like googling shows like I, I don't watch I don't watch this stuff at all and I and I and I found myself in that space where I was like, you know what I need other people that I have conversation with you know I can talk to about things right and that get it and that not necessarily I like Kim said are you serious like I didn't know you. I didn't didn't think that, that sort of thing. So I found my community, and what I did was I I have eight friends from around the world in different verticals, and I asked them one question. I said, hey, are you all experiencing the same thing? It's like, yeah, we don't know how the stuff be going on in me, like chit-chats and conversation, that sort of thing. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to do it ourselves. Those eight people got on a call one night. We chatted for an hour and a half just about stuff. It didn't have... Most of the stuff that have nothing to do with work. It was just life, conversation, laughs, good times. Think about the barbershop. If you're, I don't know if you've ever been to a barbershop. But if you go to the barbershop, that's the place to go on the weekends because you're going to get all the conversation you need as a black man. So we did that, and then one thing led to another. A month later, we got like 400 people on the call. And this was like... Okay, so we have to do something about this because it's too many people. We can't control the room anymore. So it's just built from there and it's organic. And I love it because it's something for everyone. If you want to get into tech, there's a space. If you're in tech, you got a space. If you're tech-ish, if you're not, if you're in tech but don't work a technical role like myself, and you want to have a conversation? You have those well as well, and we get people jobs. We people are getting hired. Three people got hired last week. Shout out to the fellas that got hired: two cybersecurity, one out person. But it's it's about a community of people coming together and being a hub.
1: That is so so important. I will say, like, it's
0: like, but it's kind, of, it's it's it is great. But like you were saying, it's not necessarily out of something. Bad that happened it's just wait i'm just trying to look for other people who might feel that way i know like during covid there was a time where there was a bunch of us right that were just connecting like you're talking about it was other deib professionals we were not talking about deib right we were just it was a cooking club and we would go on zoom and we would make italian chicken somebody picked a thing and it was like so funny but you realize like those are the times that you're connecting on. We don't want to connect on all these bad things. Like, I want to be able to share this excitement with somebody who can be excited for me and with me and understand how far that that we go. I mean, I am always in awe of Kim Scott. Like when I found out, like I was doing this podcast, I was like falling out because I'm like such a fangirl. But you look at this work, right? And you're like, everybody thinks that Kim's their best friend and understands them because of this book. And you can see it. They're like, what do you do? And they'll be like, oh, I do everything you said in your book, ma'am. But it's like forming that community because you're when they see Kim, they get to say, you get it. Like you understand. And that's what the connection is about. All of those.
1: Yeah. And often I don't get it. And I love being in groups with people who point out to me, oh, Kim, you, you know, you missed out on me. You don't get it, actually. Uh, like, I was talking to a, a Black woman in tech recently, and she said, if I have to go to another group off-site where they sing Sweet Caroline, yeah, see, and I never would have thought of that until she explained it to me. But you all are both laughing. I know exactly what she was, I feel, I
2: relate. I actually like that song because we sing it at international football games. So... So every so, I, so my association with that song is sitting in a stadium in London, watching the Dolphins get beat by the Jaguars, and at halftime, right, the entire crowd sings "Sweet Caroline." So yeah, so.
0: Well, my connection is college piano bar. It was not good. That was not the
1: song you wanted to be singing.
0: Yeah, maybe when we're in person, we'll reenact. But for now. Probably not. Well, let's get real, even though I think we are doing a good job of getting real. But here is the question. Do you have a piece of feedback that was extremely beneficial to you in your career? Or maybe an experience with biased feedback that didn't help you at all? Like, I am I was curious, Cam, if you could share your feedback story.
2: Yeah, so the best piece of feedback I've ever received were actually was in my uh I was doing my thesis at the University of Maryland and one of the people on my committee said to me at the time, she said, uh, Cam, I want to work with you, right? And when she when she started a conversation like that, that put me off, that put that, that let my guard down. Right. That she didn't come with the, this is what it is. she said, I want to work with you. She said, you have a brilliant mind, right? And I love the way you process and think. She said, but she, no, she said, and. She said, but, no. She said, and the way that you speak is definitely from down south, and you use words like ask, which is axiom, and not ask, and that sort of thing. She said, some people in academic, when you get up to these elite meetings and have these conversations, they'll be turned off because they think your part of speech is wrong, but it's not, right? So she said, I, she said I'm not trying to code switch you. I just want you to walk in every room and know your audience because I don't want them to miss what you're saying based on the way that it comes out, right? So we worked a whole semester at it and um, it was really beneficial and not that I code switch. I just understand the audience and the language and the, the way that I need to emphasize certain words in certain rooms so that people don't miss the point. Because when I walk in the room, I'm a bald head, big black man, former athlete. so all the bias kick in immediately, right? So she helped me understand the audience based on that feedback. And I tell you to this day, I appreciate the conversation because it allowed me to understand when you walk into certain rooms, no matter the conversation, you wanna make sure that the impact hits the individual and not necessarily the words that's coming out of my mouth. So I really, so I really appreciate that bit of feedback.
1: I love how she started out by by reminding you that this is an unfair perception. You are brilliant. This is, but and I wish it's funny as you were talking. I was thinking about kind of similar feedback, but different, obviously, that I got when I. I so I also grew up in the South. I grew, I grew up in Memphis, and uh, and when I got to college, a professor said something, and I said, "Why?" And he said, "What?" And I said why? And he said, what? And I said, why? And then finally, somebody else had to translate for him. And I remember feeling so sort of, I felt humiliated. I felt stupid, actually. And I made a very conscious effort to change my accent. And I regret kind of in retrospect, I kind of wish that I hadn't changed my accent. But it did make it a lot easier for me to, to navigate the world. So I wonder what you all think about that. When you get feedback that is basically bias, like there comes a time when you you decide you want to act on that feedback or not? Like what's the right, when do you decide?
2: So for me, I took that feedback because I knew the position that I was in and knew that I wanted to get in certain rooms in academia. I wanted to make sure I can translate and talk to individuals in a way that they perceived my conversation. Now that's the younger cam, right? Older cam is like, hey, listen, I got two degrees from two research, one universities, I have over 3.8 GPA in my grad school and over 3.5 in my undergrad, so what? Like I talk how I talk and if I understand me, then you should too, right? At the same time, it takes a lot to get to that point, right?
1: Yeah, it it does, absolutely.
2: It takes a lot of radical candor to get to that point. I often tell people, you know, do whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm comfortable in my skin now. It took me years to get to this point. Other people, you know, they're still on their journey. So that's how I approach it. But I gave you that example though as feedback because that was a, a great way of telling someone that biases control the narrative and it's not you but I'm gonna prepare you for the biases you're gonna encounter when you leave this university and go to the real world.
0: I appreciate that. I mean, what it reminds me of, I was young. I lived in Texas and I moved to Texas from New York. So I already had a funny accent. And when I came to Texas, there's a different vernacular in Texas than there was in New York that everybody was speaking in. And I came home and my parents are from Baltimore, they were both raised in Baltimore and worked very hard to get rid of their Baltimore-specific accent because it is very distinctive. Like, it, within two seconds, you're like, you're from Baltimore, right? And then you're talking about all sorts of other stuff. So I came home and, and spoke in a certain way, and my mother, who has never done did that before or since, grabbed my ear and she said, if you talk like that again, I will wash your mouth out with soap. Now god rest her soul i never asked and of course now that she's passed i'm like i wonder why she was so emotional about that but it was also understanding like there's something that i always say about parents like their kids can understand the tone where this is a preference or i'm trying to save you from some type of pain or infliction and so i think that It is one of those things where like, if I go to a different country and I don't speak the language there, I speak in very basic English. And I sound like I don't, when I come back, like I don't understand English. I always say I have to speak in English as a second language because I'm, we're trying to get to the same point. Like I'm just trying to eat dinner and you're trying to serve me dinner. So me having attitude or not trying to get, is not gonna benefit anybody of being, you have to know those moments. Now you can ask my team and I, again, my boss, who we refer to on the show as Shmirin who I'm not saying Kieran, but Shmirin if I say knows that we'll have conversations, but if I say, you know what? the whole conversation is about to change. Like that is the, I have given you all of this that I can do and now you're gonna have to have, now we're having radical candor, right? I wanna work with you, but like that's when we have to have those real conversations. And I think what's important for people to understand from different cultures is that because this is my normal way of speaking or my language that I'm using that if I am passionate or I do wanna talk to you about something that's very specific and I really need you to understand, I have to use my words. These are the words that I can use to express that. And so if I'm talking, that means that I care. I'm giving you a gift. This is something that it's also a sign. You should know this is really important to me. And sometimes this is not gonna sound not going to come out with a lot of grace or finesse but I don't know how else to say it. That's what I generally do where I'm like, I've tried really hard to come up with a different way of saying this and I can't find one. So I'm just going to go for it. But we'll, but promise we'll still be friends at the end of this.
1: I love that because you're owning your side of the communication and you're saying this may not land right in your ears but this is how I can say it. And and that's you know great communication gets measured not necessarily at the speaker's mouth but at the listener's ear but sometimes you got to start somewhere. You know, you got to start with the words you got.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was funny when Kieran and I when I first started I was like, "We're at Textio. They use these Words. There's lots of words at Textio. And I said something and Karen responded, W-U-T. It was like, what? And I was like, oh, see, that's her version of like, I cannot be the PhD of language anymore. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have that point where you have to get, get real with it. Well, are we, were you, have you given that same feedback to other people, Cam, as you've Kind of strolled around in life.
2: Yeah, so my feedback loops are very different because what I try to do is always approach it from a space of always being helpful. Much like it was helpful for me in undergrad, right, Uh, graduate school, and when even approaching really difficult conversation with individuals, I approach it from a grace and space perspective. Now. I'm not saying it always works because sometimes people take full advantage of grace and space and allowing you to, you know, live in your truth. But I find myself leaning nowadays, leaning on feedback in a space of, okay, here's where you are, here where I am, here's my expectation. Now, how do I get you or how do I coach you to help you get to that next level? How do we walk hand in hand to make this happen? And even in frustrating moments and times, I still find myself leaning on that because I'm a former athlete. I always feel like we can coach people up. I can teach you how to do a job well. What I can't teach you is how to show up in a way that's authentically you and have you in a space where you are ready to thrive. Meaning that I can't teach you the intangibles. I can teach you how to do a job. And I use that coaching perspective to help when I'm in Feedback situations, especially when I'm frustrated about something because I feel as though you got to give people space and grace to operate and give them the right tools to be successful. So that's why I lean when I have these feedback conversations is more like I want to understand. I want to help. And if there's any roadblocks, let me help. Now, sometimes you don't have those. Right. It's just someone's just not doing a thing. And then from there, you got to have, I feel like I have enough relationship with people to say, hey, especially on my team to say, hey, this isn't happening well. You're letting the team down. You're dropping the ball. That's how do we move forward, right? We're not going to dwell on what's happening currently. We're going to talk about the next plan. And then the next plan is going to come with the set of expectation. And again, you coach people differently depending on their skill set, their level and what they're doing. I want to feel as though, I always hire the best team and this is totally biased and I'm gonna an own it. I hire the best team to do the best job and I assist in their experience and not get in the way. Which sometimes again, bite me in the butt myself, so.
1: Hey Cam and Jackie, can I ask you all, can I solicit some feedback from you all? Cause here's what I think if I were a manager of a team And I hired someone and they had, you know, a thick Southern accent. And let's say it's in San Francisco or maybe I'm living in New York or whatever. And I knew that other people on the team were not taking them as seriously as they should because it was like a what? Wow moment. I think what I would do is I would not tell the person to change their accent. I would sit down with the team and I'll say, you all... I'm noticing some bias, and I'm not going to ask this person to tiptoe around your bias. I'm going to ask you all to change your biased opinion about this person's speech. Sometimes when I tell the um story, people criticize me uh, or they criticize my boss. So I was saying um a lot, and my boss told me in no uncertain terms, and, and I went to see a speech coach. And I think in that case, she did the right thing for me because she couldn't change the opinions of everyone else in the room but if i were if the people in the room were working for me i would tell them to change their biases what do you all think i I fully agree with you because the thing is it's like i'm not the
0: problem what i notice with things like that is that it is purposeful when you especially when you have a large group they're trying to exude some type of authority and some type of pecking order on purpose and i love that saying like if you can say charcuterie you can say Shakari. This is not difficult, right? Like you, if you can say rendezvous, then you can say this. So if you can understand these things, like you're listening to BTS and you're listening to all this K-pop, but then all of a sudden you say, you don't understand the word y'all because you're from this other place. That's a choice, right? And, it, and what is even scarier than that is, It could be your customers. It could be members of your family. You're going to need to learn how to communicate with all of them. So that's how I think about it. I think that's a good approach, Kim.
2: Yeah, I second that. I think that's a great approach. And I think that we got to normalize things that are special and unique to our team. We hire individuals to be great at their jobs. And if everyone was, you know, monolith or the same person, they would have a bunch of robots. So I like the personal touch. I like building an individual relationship with team members. But at the same time, I want to highlight those things, right? I want to learn more about individuals' culture and upbringing. Especially, I was having a conversation the other day with a friend who uh, realized that the Gullah language is from South Carolina. And, Et and you know the foods and things like that. We got into like a really deep conversation, but it's only through a past employee that I learned the the history of Charleston, South Carolina, and I could be able to verbatim tell someone else like I was a history buff, right? So I think I think you celebrate though because that individual had a really accent like but i was so intrigued i wanted to learn we stay in a posture of always wanting to learn as leaders then our team is always going to want to mimic what we're putting out as well because they're going to usually mimic their leaders so yeah so i would say spot on for you
0: you know, I forgot to mention that when I was gonna be Kieran today, I am on three podcasts. I don't keep time in any of them. I love that you brought that up and in, in you're saying those types of things. Like that is, I think this has been a good conversation, but we have some more that we need to jump into. So let's jump into our story today. The story reads, I had a manager that told me I needed to leave my alter ego at home. I asked them what they meant by it. I was truly confused by the feedback. She then said how I talk at home is perfectly acceptable at home, but in the office, I needed to keep a professional tone. It's almost like we planned it, we didn't plan it. This feedback upset me and still confused me. I asked for examples and she said, I made her uncomfortable asking for examples and was baiting her. Again, I was not sure what she was talking about. I tried to assure her I wanted to understand, and that was it. After staring at me in silence and then beginning to cry, she said, this is what I am talking about, but your talk or intimidation tactics won't work. You know very well what I am talking about and want to make me look bad for calling out your unprofessional behavior, and I won't be intimidated by you. You need to stop speaking black in the office. There are more than just black people that work here. It makes people uncomfortable and not everyone knows or understands that hood type of slang and talk. I know I stared at her for way too long in shock and silence. Then I asked if customers had complained or co-workers and she said it was confidential. That is the day I went to lunch and never went back.
1: Man, you can't make this shit up. I mean, that is unbelievable. Well, I'm glad she went to lunch and never went back. And I'm glad she had other, I'm glad she could do that because I would have quit sort of on the spot too, if I could have, that's awful story. But you know what it does? Like I've said this so many times,
0: people say, Oh, bring your whole self to work, and I always say you don't want me to bring my whole self to work. Like you don't even know what that means because people say that, but they only are talking about the amount that is acceptable by them. They, I'm like, you don't want all of this, and then the rest of my family is like, no. And there's certain things like, like we we're saying like. If I do talk to you, if I do come to you, and I know that we're obviously different, I am trying to work with you. I am trying to work through those things. Because if I didn't like you, then I just wouldn't mess with you, right? I just wouldn't have a conversation with you.
2: It's, it's so layered, right? So many things wrong with this. So it's automatically off the top, right? I feel for the individuals that's receiving this feedback. And the reason why is because they're unprotected. They're vulnerable. They're out there by themselves. And then I feel bad for this manager, not because well what they're saying to the individual is how they're portraying it without fault like they're judge jury and and executioner at that point right so i can ask you a clarifying question and if i make you uncomfortable now i'm attacking you you're using words that are that are pip related now that controls my destiny and my future at this company and then the third piece for me is that how in the world do this manager get away with this? Because just by her quitting, I'm glad she quit. But before she went out the door, she should have took everything with her, including the sink, because someone has to be held accountable for talking to someone in a way. And I'm assuming they're Black because she mentioned Black and conversation for saying these things to an individual and thinking it's okay. Like that is a tough pill to swallow.
1: It's a, one shouldn't swallow that pill. I mean, this manager should be fired. Absolutely should. In fact, I want to find out where this is and go make sure that this person's boss got the feedback. Right, and not buy anything. I mean, but in karma's a bitch, it's that
0: person. I don't know if they left that job, but something not great happened to that person in the future because you can't treat people like that. But I also think-
2: They didn't cry about it.
1: The crying is what threw me off. Of course, like, woman's tears, but, like, that's that's what that was. Like, the thing that gets me, like,
0: in those, like, when I hear about the situation, like you said, it's like an onion. There's layers of pieces in that conversation. But uh, you did bring up a good point about, oh, I think, I guess she identified as Black. We don't even know if the woman even identified. I mean, she didn't say, I am a Black woman from, insert whatever here. And... But I am also glad, like people need to know, like this is a bias that is often hidden through performance feedback. So an example, I used to be a diversity consultant. I would go over all of the different pieces. And so every department was looking at being diverse. And then we were looking at customer success, was the scale was tipped higher. And so the global majority wasn't, Present. It was a majority of white people. We started incorporating different people from different backgrounds in this customer service. And then what happened? Everybody who was black or brown got negative marks in their customer service when the surveys came back. And a lot of it was the same thing that we're talking about now. Oh, they seemed unprofessional, all of these different things. And then people are like letting people go. And you're like, wait, you have to understand this bias exists. This is something that's real. And people sweep it under the rug of not
1: being professional. But who's not
0: being professional in that situation?
1: Yeah, this manager was not being professional. And I think also like in those kinds of situations where you're gathering feedback, you're not protecting your employee from your customers. And I think you you should protect. If the customers are all biased, that doesn't mean the that the problem is the employee. It means, you know.
2: Yeah, that was intense. That you should have warned us before you said to talk about that.
1: And I by the way am making an assumption which may also not be correct that the that the manager was white. Could have been any but pro, but my guess is I'm right about that there's a piece that's important that
0: is as people are listening of why do these things come up and we know that these things are when we talk about what professionalism is or people have this perception of what that is it's it's steeped in white supremacy so it makes it okay to say that you don't sound right because this is the way you're supposed to sound right like this is is where you are and and That's why a lot of times people get away with things like that. There's a lot, and that's what we try to do here is make sure that we're not masking feedback and trying to say, this is great feedback. That's going to help you in your career because they did need to go someplace else. But this is like real
1: stuff. It's awful.
2: That's why when people say, you know, especially to leaders or minority leaders and stuff like that, it's such a pressure for us to be successful because people tell you, mostly white men or white people that are in the C-suite, talks about, it's okay to be yourself. We welcome that. Like, and, and you and you sit there with a spirit of fear and you side-eye it at the same time because it's like, well, what version you want? You want the Jason Aldean version of Cam? Or you want the person that listened to Drake? Because I don't think you like the person that listened to Drake but you like this person because I make you comfortable. And that's a tough thing about being in corporate America sometimes and having such a a division of minority individuals in these places, in these leadership roles, in these hiring roles, because we understand that there is something wrong with the system. The system believes that the system works, right? And I tell you in my, ma- in my feedback loop of my in my talent management end of the year report that I did this and right, but if I didn't make you feel comfortable, I don't have a high EQ, I don't have cultural intelligence. Now I went from being a hypo to I need to be cut, right? And with the way economy going and stuff, it's easy to cut out diversity because you know that's not what we usually have anyways. So those type of things, when we listen to that story, those type of things that start to trigger in my mind like, Here we go again. Right.
0: Yeah. It can feel like that. I think I shared on the store, on the show before it was like my first week at Textio and I was in a meeting and I was like, that's stupid. So like, for me, when I get nervous, I use really basic words that everyone can understand. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired on my first day. And I called Kira and I was like, told everybody their idea was stupid. And she said, well, you're ours now. So, and then I was like, okay. I guess I can be myself. I'm not in trouble. Nobody's angry. Did anybody come back to you? I'm like, I guess they do that. But I had a feedback once where someone said, "I we were having a friendly debate, what I thought was a friendly debate. And they said, I don't like this Jackie. Like I like conference Jackie, is what they said. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, I like Jackie on stage better than this Jackie. I said, oh, see, when I'm on stage, I'm advocating for the audience. But at work, I'm advocating for me. And that is making you uncomfortable, right? Okay, I get it. And I think people need to understand it is not my job to make someone else feel comfortable when I'm bringing, as requested, three-fourths of my whole self to work.
2: But yeah, that that's always interesting when you say, oh, bring yourself to work or have these conversations. Like I've been to conversations before where I'm advocating for myself because I, I see everything's happening in front of me. I'm like, whoa, don't forget about me. And people go, well, I like the cam that just wants to talk about like, you know, fun stuff like food, sports and, and Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is like my favorite meal. And I'm like, but we were just laughing five minutes ago. But when I, I when I advocate for myself and say, hey, I need this thing to be successful or to continue it's like, well, why you want to do that? You're not happy where you are now? No, I'm not. That's why I'm telling you that sort of thing is much different conversation in right, because people are not smiling and Everybody's not laughing and having a good time.
1: Yeah, but if we can't have conflict with each other, then we can't deepen our relationships. And that's like, people have got to get comfortable having all different kinds of conflicts with all different kinds of people if we're going to love working together and do our best work.
0: That's where the learning happens, right? That's where the learning occurs. We have a misconception of what learning looks like and feels like. We're looking for an A. Well, sorry, in life, you're not getting an A. You have, the learning happens in these conflicts. And we love hearing these stories and Sorry, I didn't give a trigger warning. But if you have a story, they don't all have to be negative. Please send them in. They don't have to be horror stories. So if you have an amazing feedback story that's impacted you tremendously, send us those too. Because the more we talk about this, a better opportunity we have to change. So you can send that to my story at realasfeedback.com. So again, Cam, I appreciate you so much for being on the show. It's always good to have friends get to be guests as well. And Kim, as
1: always, does anyone have any parting words? Such a great pleasure. Always love talking to you, Jackie and Cam. It was great to get to know you a little bit.
2: And so for me, um, please follow us on any social media we have at B-L-K-M-E-N-I-N-T-E-T-H at um is our website as well. We look forward to just an amazing time. Conference is coming up soon, October 19th through the 22nd in Fort Lauderdale. So if you haven't got your Thrive tickets, please make sure you get it. All right, perfect. Well, thanks so much. And until next time, bye.